cannabis and sports have played a role in each other's lives from the get-go. Surrounded in a cloud of misunderstanding and stigma, today's sports and athletes are making waves in the cannabis industry. Sports Cannabis is a new channel brought to you by Treehouse Solution. Treehouse Solution builds bespoke digital content solutions for the cannabis industry. Check out www.treehousesolution.com for more information. People always ask, how do you get the guests to come on your show? And more importantly, collaborate with you? Well, there's a lot of reaching out. But it always helps when we have Jesco in our corner. With Jesco's expertise from their long list of high-profile cannabis clients, they provide an abundant amount of industry knowledge alongside advice that sets them apart. If you're struggling or need a fresh take, reach out to Jesco at www.jessmco.com or visit them on LinkedIn and Facebook. What's good, sports cannabis community? We hope you're keeping well, staying safe, and training hard from home. Every day is a new day, and this means you have the opportunity to grind and shine and gear up for that moment when life restarts. Remember to hashtag grind and shine in your posts. Keep up with our Instagram, at Sports Cannabis, for the latest of updates and news with sports, and of course, cannabis. This is Jai Marzaria and Mando Dillon for Sports Cannabis. We're both diehard sports fans, and of course, love and consume cannabis for recovery and relief. I'm a bit of a cycling junkie, and with Crohn's disease, cannabis has helped me conquer endurance sports. Athletes, pro athletes, as well as now sporting leagues are looking to cannabis in one way or another. And for years, pro athletes haven't been able to access a plant that could alleviate the pressures of a rigorous training schedule, demanding hours and injuries. The traditional methods consisted of a cocktail of remedies that had both short-term and long-term side effects that have been proven to be detrimental to these athletes and their careers. One person that's an absolute expert in this field. Well, wait, hold up. That, that just doesn't do justice. Watch this. And he's fighting it right now for all it's worth. If he can hold it together, he could be in there. So at the end of the last few gates, Sets it down a bit, but doesn't scrub too much speed. And he's and not holding left back. to go. Oh, and yeah. that's time. Ross Rebliati of Whistler, British Columbia takes over the lead. I'm exhilarated. I am kind of speechless right now. I don't know what to say. I'm just glad everyone's watching back home and every all my friends. My dad's here. And got a lot of friends on tour wishing me good luck and everything. It's just a beautiful experience. We had the opportunity to discuss, chat, and just sit down with Ross Rebliati, gold medalist for Canada, about sports and cannabis. Great to have you. Thank you for coming on Sports Cannabis today. Before we really take a deep dive into sports, cannabis, and you know everything about your career, why don't you take us on a little bit of a journey of really how you got started? I guess it all started in 1987 when I discovered snowboarding and then uh, it went from there. Um, I was 15 at the time and I was a ski racer and snowboarding came around in those days. No ski resorts here allowed it, so it was something really fresh and new and being 15, I kind of wanted to get away from the whole structure of ski racing also and yeah I really uh, gravitated towards it and um, quickly got involved in competition as 
you know, I was a ski racer that just seemed like a natural thing to do. And through the, the late 80s and got onto the World Cup in the early 90s after I got out of high school, after a couple of years, I was successful on, on the World Cup tour. And then uh, in 94, we learned we were going to the Olympics in 98. And by then I had climbed up the world rankings into the top three for um I was, you know, focusing on the alpine events. Being a ski racer gave me that uh, knowledge that not a lot of other guys, you know, had the depth that, you know, that I did at the time. So, on the events and, um, yeah, was able to win the Olympics in, in 98. And, um, yeah, and then from there on, you know, for the last 22 years, basically, I've been, you know, living through, you know, the whole prohibition of cannabis and and seeing the the whole you know fight for the legalization of cannabis come to fruition which is incredible and you know I I feel lucky to be you know have to have been part of it in in a way and so you know ever since 98 I really have been speaking out on behalf of cannabis users and and cannabis and the benefits of cannabis and um here we are today with legalization 2020 um, amidst a uh, uh, COVID crisis. But, um, you know, I, I think in, in these times, having the option to cannabis other than, you know, rather than some other substances that may not be as conducive to being calm and collected and, you know, making rash decisions or not, I think cannabis is a, a good choice there. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting how it's unfolded over the years. It, br it brings about a, b a bit of emotion, I guess, but, uh, you know, knowing that it's legal. So before we get started, before we dive into all things cannabis, we got to ask you, how did it feel? How, what was that moment like for you when you won the gold medal? Take us back. Yeah, that, I mean, really big, huge dream come true. Almost hard to describe, but you know, I was a ski racer and that was an Olympic event. And so I, I was kind of on the path. And then when I started snowboarding, I kind of gave up that, that dream, right? So to see snowboarding grow from the day that I, you know, the year I started in 87 to 98 was 10 years. I re realized my Olympic dream by, you know, the Olympics accepting snowboarding in 98, but we found out about it in 94 to prepare. Yeah. So there was a lot of like that appreciation that all of a sudden I get to compete for a gold medal at the Olympics again because now snowboarding has been accepted as a real sport plus the whole fact that it will be the first one for snowboarding you know that also was a big deal to us like we all wanted to win every race obviously that's our job but everybody wanted to be the guy that won it the first time for the Olympics and so there was that added part of it and then like what I just said is just being there at the Olympics, I mean, for any athlete in any sport, um, especially their first time around, is, you know, mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you walk into the arena, there's millions of, it seems, it seems like millions of people in the arena, and then you've got the jets flying over, you, you've got, like, a friggin' orchestra playing mm -hmm. some crazy shit, right? The doves mm -hmm. are flying up in the air, and the, the arrow hits the... <laughs> the cauldron and it lights up and you, you literally see it light up on everyone's faces. And, and then, you know, our event was the very next day. Wow. That was like, I have to go to sleep now. And <laughs> so, you know, the next day was a big day just because 
that night was the it wasn't like some of the athletes waited for two weeks after that to compete yeah you know so there was a lot of you know build up for four years you know after i'd already climbed up through the world cup ranks on a whole nother world cup tour ranked in the top three in the world going into Nagano, but nobody knew that because all of a sudden I'm on a new World Cup tour where I had no points in because I was still being paid to compete on the other tour. So I kind of came in under the radar. No one really knew who I was as far as the media. I mean, I don't know if I can like set stage anymore crazily. Like I almost didn't make the team. Wow. I locked all my equipment. I used an old board. Wow. I mean, there's all kinds of weird shit like i broke my boot the day before and in training and had to fix it you know that night and i saw mark fawcett trying to fix his board and we know his equipment failed on him during his run and i saw him trying to fix i know what happened and and those classic olympic moments unbelievable yeah yeah it was unbelievable it's amazing. Um, you know, something that we also just very quickly want to talk a little bit more about is is what goes into the training, um, you know, the regimen, the sacrifices that you had to make to get to where you're at. Uh, sometimes it's not talked about enough, and, and it seems like you've put in a, a lot of work to get there. Can you talk a little bit more about that and, and that journey uh, and what it was like to get to, to the Olympics? You know, that's, that was all part of it, and Training techniques have changed over the years, but really it, it boils down to dedication and, you know, being able to repeat it day in, day out for years without burning out. And, you know, that's every athlete's biggest fear is, is burnout and injury and that sort of thing. So, you know, I worked out three days on, one day off during the off season, so six days a week, and I'd be in the gym for over two hours each time. I learned early on that there's no weight class in, in ski racing or snowboard racing. So, you know, physics kind of dictates that the heavier you are, the more momentum you can carry, you know, through the rough sections and onto the flats. And so for me being kind of like 170 coming out of high school and then, you know, six or seven years later competing at 196, you know, pretty solid you know, meant that uh, not only did I have to lift a lot of weights, which I had a huge weight gaining program because, you know, for some athletes, like cycling, it's the opposite. You want to, you don't want to lift anything. You want to just be light. And um, for us, it was the opposite. We had to be heavy, but still able to control our bodies. And so, you know, I did a lot of stretching, a lot of lifting weights, but also a lot of cycling for the, um, um, the cardio that that you need so that you don't get tired during your run um we only needed to be health you know cardio cardioed up for like a minute at a time Mm -hmm. but to put that much into your legs for a minute i mean if you're you're a cyclist that'd be like holding a you know seven eight hundred watts you know or close you know something like that straight wow um that's for a minute that's in, that's intense. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. 800 watts for like a minute is just draining on your legs. Yeah, and so and you're usually at altitude and it's not a consistent, you know, 800, but when you're going like you know, I was going like I don't know how fast, 140 k's an hour, you know, you're you're having to, you know, you're resisting against the snow, you're resisting against the edge, you're breathing, you're at some moments you're airborne and not there's no output. And then you're landing, and then there's like 1,500 watts of energy going into the the compression. And 
it just changes. You're just off the scales the whole way down. Like I was, if you watch my second run, you know, the run where I won, mm-hmm. it was just out of control from top to bottom. Like it doesn't seem like it, but if you look at it closely and realize how many gates and the direction that I'm going to going and then the direction that I need to be going in a split second later, I mean, it's just, there's no time for, for thought. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was all part of the training too, was, you know, making what you do become reflex so that you're not, oh, what do I need to do here? You're not doing that. It's just like a, a reflex. So there's lots of training days on Hill. We did 200 days a year on average, and 50 of those days were just during the summer training gates. And um, So just forming like a lot of muscle memory skills, so then that way when you're in there, it's just about executing the game plan and everything else yeah. kind of just comes together. Do you did you guys believe quite heavily on like uh, training your heart rate and, and understanding how it, it plays a, a big role in and when you're performing and and you're getting ready for an event or even just going through an event? Not really at the time. Like heart rate monitors and whatnot weren't really available. To be honest, um, there were some people using them but um it was still pretty long time ago i mean Mm. 22 years ago we were pretty much grabbing weights and lifting weights and just kind of i mean still the way athletes train today is totally different than than what we were doing back in those days but it wasn't as scientific as that it was pre-internet um a lot of people didn't um there were no cell phones or anything so you know if you were into something you had to be really into it like um, there was no like media bombarding you with you should be into this. You know, like act, even in those days, the X Games didn't exist, and snowboarding had barely been allowed on on the slopes. And now all of a sudden, it's at the Olympics. So um, a lot of the athletes weren't even coming from true athletic backgrounds the way I did. They were uh, kind of up against. They were more au naturel, but some of them were, you know, were just good because of. of just being passionate and I think that is part of what it takes to you know you know be a champion is not just go through the motions and train and be technically great but also you have to want to do it and you have to wake up and want to do it every day Uh, it has to be more than your passion it has to be you know the way you live you know your lifestyle and I continue to you know live the same way as I always have I mean snowboarding and Whatever, whatever other things I have in my life, um, like my family or, or other sports that intersect, you know, <laughs> me mm-hmm. in this world, um, you know, I, I pretty much handle everything the same. So, you know, it's um, a thread that goes through everything and whether it's cannabis or um, sports or family or, you know, I pretty much approach everything that I do 100%. And you know what? A lot has changed and everything just keeps churning and churning. What's your take on cannabis playing now a role that's somewhat pivotal in sports? Well, it's growing and it's been no, it hasn't been lost on a lot of athletes um, over the years on what the benefits of using cannabis and combining it with training and sport are. Um, Some athletes haven't had that luxury being that they're so structured for example hockey or football or those major league sports tend to start young with parents being involved and and you know backcountry skiing snowboarding mountain biking dirt biking surfing skateboarding kite sailing windsurfing 
you know, all like those sorts of sports are sort of more individual. And that has really allowed, you know, more of those types of athletes to experience cannabis and, and sport prior to legalization. Um, now I think, you know, these big sports organizations are very corporate driven and have, you know, responsibilities to huge sponsors that may not, you know, want to sway one way or the other on have to live up to the, the contracts that they signed. And I think that putting the, the brake on, on some of the organizations that might want to allow cannabis, you know, just because of financial and, and sponsorship potential. In reality, I think, you know, the responsible thing to do is to see above that and to realize that cannabis is a safe um, and effective solution to a lot of ailments that athletes deal with on a regular basis and to have something that you can use repeatedly and be part of a healthy lifestyle that's conducive to high-level performing um, or performing at a high level that's not addictive and doesn't impair your ability to make decisions or to operate anything. Obviously, if you're performing at a high level, you, you know, you have to make, you still have to make, you know, mature decisions about, mm-hmm. you know, what you're doing in your life and everything. But basically, you know, I think that's what people are hearing right now. Yeah. And especially with EBT. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think you hit the nail on the head. You said it was an effective solution and I suffer from Crohn's disease I've used cannabis quite a bit as an effective solution to help me recover. It helps me enjoy um, long endurance sports, which I know you and I talked a little bit about that you're dabbling in now, which is cycling. Um, But, you know, I heard something that you said a little bit before in like one of your past interviews. And you said that, you know, you couldn't understand why alcohol and cigarettes were allowed in the sporting world, but cannabis wasn't. You know, if it's not a matter of fair play or unfair play, I don't see why cannabis is on on the list. I mean, there's lots of things in the world that may have prohibition on them, like, you know, anything that's against the law, for Mm -hmm. example, you know, so they're kind of dabbling into like a social issue with cannabis being on the list more than they are actually trying to keep a level playing field, which is what the list of banned substances is all about. Mm -hmm. They don't look at a criminal record of an athlete growing up you know, and finally cleaning themselves up and making it to the Olympics. I mean, there's tons of stories like that, you know, where athletes started off kind of at the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. And were inspired by certain other athletes or events that gave them the ability to rise up. And, you know, a lot of these athletes have histories. And, you know, cannabis is not on the list or even on the radar. I think the only reason why it's there is because of prohibition. But there's a lot of substances that, there's prohibition on that aren't on the list of banned substances. Mm-hmm. So you really became kind of synonymous with cannabis, you know, after you won the gold medal and uh, and you were kind of thrusted to the forefront. And since then, you've been a huge advocate um, and really educated a lot of people and, and talked about it and spread awareness. So if we were to get back to when you were, you know, skiing and then you transitioned to snowboarding, we, we've heard stories about your parents' reactions, and we also heard rumors that you started off building your own board. Well, I was building my own board back in, in the 80s before this all occurred, before the even. So that part of it's true. The part about my parents finding out that I smoked weed from the Olympics, I mean, I, I think they basically knew that I 
I smoked weed from time to time, maybe, you know, growing up when I was in my late teens or, you know, during my 20s, you know, I was 26 in Nagano. So like over the period of time where I graduated and moved to Whistler and really ran into a bunch of ultra endurance athletes from mountain biking and, and backcountry trekking and stuff like that to realize part of this lifestyle and part of their performances, to be quite honest, and um, their their ability to assess the situation and not be not do dangerous things that are well at least in our minds they were less dangerous by making sure the avalanche conditions and whatnot were were right and we you know nobody was impaired out there we used cannabis to be calm and to enjoy you know being out there and not to have some other substance clouding our, our vision and our experience so we really felt like it was an enhancing thing rather than something that um i mean it's a natural substance and and speaking of parents you're you're a parent yourself now how do you talk about cannabis with your kids well they know cannabis is for mommies and daddies and if they see uh for example an edible which we don't have too many edibles around right now but even if they don't see it like if they see a chocolate bar that's not an edible they'll ask if it is an edible so they're they're pretty knowledgeable about about cannabis and and that it's a medicine for mummies and daddies and that sometimes kids use extracts, cannabis extracts, if they have certain, you know, medical conditions. And other than that, they don't really think anything about it. Um, I don't drink anymore. So it, it, it to me, it's kind of like having a glass of wine or, or a beer. And, you know, the kids see me smoking joints every day just like if you were having a beer you're, you're not hiding it you know and making it creating a stigma for your kids to live through growing up and back in 95 when the x games were started and you were kind of getting into it as well and uh, did you ever understand the impact that x games would have now yeah well i guess in 98 the x games were just starting or yeah. had something that um you know was probably going to be part of my future but then i wasn't I got on the no-fly list and a whole bunch of other crap happened to me at the time. So I kind of, for a number of reasons, like restricted travel and not having the the same motivation that I had before to be in the limelight. I think, you know, like I lost my sponsors and, and stuff like that. So for me, it was already costing me money to be at the Olympics and then you know, the things that I had going at the time, sort of everything shifted gears and I had to sort of reboot. Having said that, I mean, the X Games were definitely the answer to, you know, what was needed. I mean, there there wasn't anything like it on TV. I mean, snowboarding was just fresh. The other networks, like, had never even thought of doing this. And I think from that, that we had in Europe, mm-hmm. um, it was spawned from, from that before the olympics got involved yeah and they seem to really know how to align themselves with the snowboarding community like when they threw the events when you had the activations on tv you felt like you were a part of it it also felt like yeah. it was very welcoming to the cannabis community as well as opposed to yeah. some of the other sorts so i think the reason for that too was because the x games really brought the athletes that were from the snowboard federation to the x games mm-hmm. and when the olympics came in our world in 94 the ski federation started up a whole another world cup tour just for athletes to qualify for the Olympics. And so that killed the snowboard federation. It went bankrupt around 
around that time. And if you look it up online, International Snowboard Federation or ISF. And so X Games was the answer to those athletes that wanted to stick together and, and as a group because they, they managed the International Snowboard Federation. It was by the athletes. Like, and so not a lot of people realized that it wasn't the same World Cup tour that went to the Olympics that brought snowboarding to the Olympics. And um, the X Games is what took its place. You know, one thing that you just mentioned, uh, the X Games, right? It's really authentic. It has this vibe that we're talking about. How important is being authentic and being true to yourself to you? It's important to, to be who you are, you know, and not pretend and be like what you think other people want you to be like. And, and so for me, it was about, you know, yeah, I listened to Bob Marley too growing up. And I'm like, I'm not going to go against Bob. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know? I, yeah. So, I'm for cannabis, and I'm and I'm for people who are for cannabis. And my main message, you yeah. know, since since Nagano, and yeah, it caused I had to live through stereotype and stigma, and I lost tons of opportunities where I could have made money, and um, but that was what I wanted and could see from the get go, and even before Nagano, you know, we all had dreams of cannabis being legal and. Peter Tosh, you know, really instilled that into our minds mm-hmm. growing up, right? And they're not, they weren't singing about other drugs that should be legal. And so there was always kind of like this conflict in my mind, like, okay, this is what they're saying our brains look like on drugs with the big cannabis leaf on, on it with the bacon frying in the frying pan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on, on the other hand, you've got Bob Marley and Peter Tosh and all these other people. I was... I, I think like cannabis brings people together and and it was mostly not under prohibition only in the last like a few decades has there been prohibition in since the dawn of time and and mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. And so it's really just been for a short amount of time that you know this has occurred and you can kind of mark the rise of big pharma from the day prohibition started because before that cannabis oil was you know the common denominator in almost every single medicine. You know, from that day on, they had just been trying to synthetically produce these other cures, and sometimes they have, and but for the most part, they don't. And you hear tons of stories of people going off of tons of different meds and just use different forms of cannabis for different, you know, things at different times. And yeah, you know, I've gotten opportunities to smoke weed with Keith Richards, you know, backstage at the Rolling Stones concert, and. You know, so there's been lots of awesome opportunities and great things that have also come from it. And, you know, I think my podium to, to talk about cannabis is, is also, like, the the main thing. Like, I really understood, like, okay, now I have this platform and, you know, it's perfect that, I've, that I'm a I'm pro-cannabis guy because this is actually real and this is happening. And now here's an opportunity for somebody to, you know say why Michael Phelps would choose cannabis or what, you know, that sort of thing. And so, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be the guy that the media goes to whenever an athlete gets into some sort of cannabis issue. And, um, you know, moving forward, you know, we've got um, the Ross Gold brand resurfacing since Prohibition ended. Now we're transitioning into um, the legal market whatever they think that is right now it's going to change mm-hmm. and um you know we're looking at craft we're looking at high quality small batches very limited supply and you know what i'm 
I'm really glad that you brought it up and you start talking about that. And, you know, like, of course, at the beginning, um, being attached to cannabis, being synonymous was with it kind of had its hurdles, but you persevered through it. Uh, and you've been very, very resilient. And you've been very, very, um, you know, original, you know, you've kept to your guns, and you said that you like cannabis, and this is who you are. And as a result, you know, years later, cannabis has become legal. And it seems like, like exactly what you're talking about. If there's a media outlet or anything like that, you're the guy to go to. Um, which leads us to our next topic, which is that you've created your own brands, right? Legacy brands. And there's a model that you have there called it's a growing lifestyle. Why is that something that you wanted consumers to know? And can you talk a little bit more about your brand and what we can expect from it? So a growing lifestyle is really, you know, it means a couple of different things. For one thing, I, I you know, we're promoting grow grow your own grow it yourself, grow, you know, not only cannabis, but grow, you know, food, grow vegetables at home. So a growing lifestyle kind of operates around like what your day looks like when you grow cannabis for yourself, for example, even if you have um, only a few plants, there's a certain amount of time that goes into it. And you just do a little bit every day. And then, you know, you can go skiing, or you go do whatever road biking or go for a hike so like a growing lifestyle is like the lifestyle of a grower mm-hmm. um which is usually pretty active um aside from what the stereotype would have you believe <laughs> also it's growing the lifestyle itself is getting bigger and so that's the, the two meanings um behind that and um, so your focus so, is really on uh, consumables and home grow kits is that correct yeah we're looking at that i've had to put legacy on on the back burner basically and you know it didn't really survive the firestorm of of going up through the um legalization of cannabis and and then as you can see with the downturn of all the, the cannabis stocks on the stock market right now it's been a tough go bootstrapping like i didn't come into this like hugely capitalized like a lot of other people did and so uh, you know i was really just playing off the amount of um media exposure that you know i i tend to get and through that i've been able to create the brand mm-hmm. you know that's a lot of money that a lot of other companies don't have or you know to put into it so as far as marketing is concerned you know i generated during the year of prohibition or just before that previous year worth of earned media value and um so that's what i bring to the table and i bring you know the like you say like i'm you know I'm behind it. Yeah. Yeah, I think cannabis is great and, and you know, I'm I'm a dad, I've got three kids, I I do all kinds of sports and you know, I wanna promote the the research of it and, and what the benefits are um, of cannabis every single day and, and to really let people know about it. And it just gives uh you know, that no. when I get out of the bed in the morning, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, we know we sense that authentic vibe, man. Like you, you live it, you breathe it, uh, you consume it, you advocate for it. Um, it, it. It seems like it's definitely intertwined and, and plays a pivotal role in your life. Um, there's something else that caught Mando in my eye, and um, it's something that we have to ask you about, and, and maybe you can tell us a little bit more. We heard that there's a gold-plated pipe that you had for sale for 24000 yes, $420. I love the price point. Are you able to talk a little bit more about this at all? Yeah, that's the Ross Gold brand. And Ross Gold's coming back, like I said. We're working on um, bringing it back. And we had, um, like you said, 24 karat gold plated. 
Ross Gold glass bong. And so is the yeah, experience was, enhanced yeah, because of the gold or? Yes, it's very much enhanced because of the gold. <laughs> <laughs> it gives it that, that golden touch. Yeah. And um, when you're smoking Ross's gold, man, you got to have the gold bong to go with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we hear that for sure. Okay. Yeah. So we, we knew you as a snowboarder. And uh, now you said that, you know, you become a father and, and you started to take on other endurance-related sports. And cannabis still plays a role in these endurance sports. So usually it helps you recover. Do you mind talking about some of these sports? Because I know you, you're telling me you cycle a little bit. Um, what sports are you playing now? And are you still snowboarding actively? Uh, I'll answer your last question first. I am up the hill a lot. My kids, uh, my oldest boy, Ryan, ski races. And I've been back on skis myself for the last seven years um, on different kinds of powder skis and race skis and carving skis and just kind of loving the whole snowboard feel that they finally have that now that skis work and great to get on them back in the 80s when I started snowboarding they definitely were not the same thing and um yeah so I'm I'm looking at you know really bumping that up another notch I've been you know considering doing some endurance events like Ironman the Leadville whatever it is, the Leadville 100 and mm-hmm, yeah. a couple of other ones down in the States that are kind of geared towards ultra-endurance. Yeah, cannabis is definitely still part of, you know, my lifestyle and my whole regime, depending on the day, like, and even the weather, like, I'll use cannabis differently. And um, so, especially for recovery, you know, I think it's really nice to blaze a, a big fatty at the end of a ride and, and stuff, but to really get that body um, feeling better, like to take some CBD edibles and um, also some THC edibles at the end of the day is, is just an unreal way to unwind without, you know, have consuming alcohol and, and gives you that awesome sleep that you need to uh, for your body to recover so you can wake up early and, and do it again. Um yeah, especially so, after those long rides, like those 70 to 80K rides and your body's just feeling depleted at the end of it and you need something for a little bit of relaxation, I agree. It's it's the best way to kind of finish it. Yeah. And, you know, depending on where you're at with your with your fitness, I, I tend to use less cannabis throughout the season and more kind of to get started, more to kind of kickstart my season and to for motivation and just to, you know, get fun about it and, and get on the bike in the first place. Sometimes that's the hardest thing is just to get your first ride under your belt for the season. Like today I went for a ride with my kids and, uh, you know, we live in the orchards and we have some nice roads around here. As I, I tend to want to use a little bit of cannabis somewhere in the middle of my ride. Um, if I'm doing like a 100K ride or, or longer, it's nice to you know, just get off the saddle for three minutes, you know, at 50 Ks and, you know, just stretch, have a drink, check your, um, your messages, if you have any messages or whatever, and, and have a little puff at the same time to just kind of, you know, reinvigorate yourself and to, you know, put you in that mindset that you're going to turn around and bang out the next 50 Ks. And honestly, that's part of the performance enhancing part of cannabis is how, it can kind of change your motivation levels and it gets you know, you in the like zone. you to think that it makes you unmotivated. But um, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, you know, just from my own experience, um, I, I get tons of motivation and I, I do stuff whenever I use cannabis. So 
I know, I know that's not everybody's experience, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it, but it, you know, if you have an intention to to relax at home and watch TV and to chill, like we are right now in this time, like our family's been quarantining ourselves for the last uh, week just for precautionary reasons. Um, you know, it's a nice way to also kick back. So it's yeah. it's really incredible. Like if you set an intention first before you use cannabis, how it tends to work itself through your, you know, your neuro systems and your brain a little bit differently. But yeah, there's, there's always a, a way to use it in a, in a way to enhance your experience or your performance or to at least operate at an optimal level. It definitely can help, you know, focus motivation, but it tends to correlate with the strain. And that brings into question, you know, something that I think a lot of us are dying to know. What is Ross Rebliati's favorite method to consume cannabis? Is it dried? Is it oils? What do you do? I do use it different ways. Mostly I, I roll joints and, and smoke joints just because that's how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I'm used to how it tastes that way and, and you know, the whole process of grinding it and it's kind of a whole meditation thing. Yeah. Um, rolling the joint and having through that process and then sitting there and smoking it for however long it takes and you know you, it kind of like it's like a mini break in your day it's like it is i mean you're taking a little break and you're focusing on on yourself and you know it's very therapeutic just in itself the action of doing it let alone the medicinal benefits that you get from consuming it um edibles is you know one of my favorite ways as well of course there's lots of treats out there with edibles in them which i love but being trying to be uh in shape is a little bit different so i i tend to use um full spectrum extract that's in gel caps and so that gets me the you know the edible that i that i'm looking for the effect that i'm looking for because i'm eating it rather than smoking it or combusting it without any calories and so that's the goal there but um you know, from time to time, it's nice to have a delivery system like chocolate that you can use to, you know, help it through the, the body. But I'm also on a keto diet, which, you know, I'm not taking in, uh, you know, sugar, although it's hard with kids. If I see a cinnamon bun, I pretty much smash it before anyone notices. But I, I won't buy this, the, the stuff. And I definitely, when I go out, I don't eat that kind of stuff. I'm pretty much on a protein, 100% protein diet. And um, I don't know close to 30 pounds since a year ago wow. since I started. So, If we were to stick with the diet plan that you're on, do you ever infuse it with cannabis oils? Like we had a chef on yesterday that, that does an infusion process from start to finish. He uses a coconut oil. Do you, do you do this as well? Yeah, well, I had infused honey going for a while when we had uh, Ross Gold, the Ross Gold dispensary open. And so I was using honey and, and coffee and sometimes just in hot water. You know, I think the whole cooking thing is, you know, it's it's been a little bit restrictive so far. Like, you're not really allowed to have a restaurant that infuses cannabis um, oils. There are some that are doing most of the edibles companies out there aren't legal either. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, or I should say there's a huge black market that you would think is the legal market out there, but it's not. I, it's going to be huge. I mean, it's going to replace alcohol, Yeah, I think. Um, almost completely, right? Yeah. You should be able to also buy, you know, weed anywhere. Like there's, 
uh, someone was telling me, oh, Calgary, there's <laughs> so many stores, there's one on every corner. And 500 stores might seem like a lot of stores, but there's 10,000 cold beer and wine stores in Calgary too. Mm-hmm. So when you put it in perspective like that, I think that's, you know, people don't realize how much bigger cannabis, you know, needs to be. Like, I don't want to drive across the whole town just to get weed because the dispensary is like, there's like 10 cold beer and wine stores in between here and the first dispensary. Yeah. And sometimes and you're like, not, you're not sure if that strain's even there. They don't even know what's there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, there's some that are better than others out there. And, you know, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but yeah, I mean, right. There's lots of hurdles that you have to jump through to get, to get the cannabis that you want, even in a, a legal yeah. sense. Yeah. There, there was something else I wanted to ask you about. And, and you said that when you roll a spliff, you know, you, there's a sense of like meditation to it, right? Do you, did you also experience that, you know, sense of uh, wholeness and, and meditation and, you know, a different experience when you snowboard or when you ride or, or do these sports as well? Yeah, it's definitely part of experience, um, you know, getting on a ride or, or skiing or snowboarding, um, you know, if you can stay out of the lift lines and crowds and, you know, that it's always been part of like the whole soulness of these sports is that you're out there on your own, whether you're surfing or kite sailing, um, it's you, uh, your equipment and, you know, usually mother nature and whatever you're being thrown into or whatever is being thrown at you. Um, that is the, the motivation to do it. And, you know, you, there's a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of things that you can control. And, and um, I think doing these sports forces you into the unknown and you don't know what's going to, you know, you're going on the ride, but you don't know what's going to happen on the ride. And you know something is going to happen, but you don't know what. And every day, um, that's kind of the motivation is to, you know, live outside the box, be a little bit more in the moment and with yourself. And, um, you know, I think maybe in times like this, people will realize how important it is to, you know, be comfortable um, with who you are and (laughs) not have so many vices that everybody needs to um to have to survive i want to thank you ross for coming on and something we ask almost all of our guests is is there a past experience or a piece of technology or maybe even a book that has helped shape who you are today ah that's a good question i think well i I really i read lord of the rings back in the 90s it took me about a year to read all of the books because i was traveling but i resonated with that um on a bunch of different levels and um my grandma gave me a book called i think it's jonathan seagull and there's some pretty philosophical uh things in that book too i recommend it Ross Rabliati for joining us today on Sports Cannabis. Follow him on Instagram at RossRabliati98. Thank you for joining us on Sports Cannabis brought to you by Trio Solution. Follow our Instagram channel at Sports Cannabis for the latest updates and check us out at www.triosolution.com. Our next episode is going to be incredible. We have an NHL legend, the co-founder and NHL ambassador for Athletes for Care, 
Riley Cotin, and it's an interview you will not want to miss. Make sure you like, subscribe, and follow us everywhere. Stay safe and be well, sports cannabis family. And remember to hashtag grind and shine. 